What's up, Faith Church? Everybody good today? Y'all good? Did everybody have a good 4th of July? Everybody enjoyed your time off? Everybody still got their fingers? No fireworks, accidents? Because we can like lay some hands on you today and we'll take care of that, right? The 4th of July always throws me off whenever it's midweek. Is that the way you guys are? Like it kind of messes you up because like, you get a couple days to work. Then you get your off day in a couple days. Like I like the long weekend, 4th of July, you know? Uh, so it's thrown our schedule off, and I don't know about you, like my wife and I, we've actually been um, kind of in this season of travel, so we've been traveling a lot over the last couple of weeks. I've actually got to leave tomorrow, carrying my beautiful wife and one of our other staff ladies. Um, they're headed to Guatemala in the morning, uh, so y'all please pray for them. They're um, traveling over there. We're looking at a new missions partner, and they're going to do a trip with them to kind of see how they do some things um, as we continue to expand our missions arm. Uh, so be praying for that. We hope God moves there, um, and be praying for me because uh, I'm here, and it's, it's, it's men rule the world in my house for the next week. Um, so me and the three boys are going to take uh, the house down and try to put it back together before mom gets home. Um, uh, actually, week before last, I don't know if you saw it, my wife and I got to uh, check something off the bucket list. We spent um, eight days in Alaska a uh, week before last, and it was just as amazing as you think it would be. Has anybody ever been to Alaska? Just curious. Okay, sweet. Y'all like more in this service. Um, than before. Alaska is amazing. It is just as beautiful as you think it will be. Um, and honestly, it's probably colder um, than you think it would be in the middle of summer. It's ridiculous. Uh, so we were still wearing like three pairs of pants, um, long sleeve shirt, sweatshirt, like windbreaker, coat, toboggan, gloves. Like it's it's freezing up there, um, but it is a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, we got to hang out and meet some really, really cool people. Um, the culture up there is a little different. Um, people still work like, just like you would think Alaska. Like it's not as civilized, right, as most places. Like the biggest cities are still really, really small. The gold rush is still going on. I learned that when I was in Alaska. I didn't know that. Um, but the gold rush that kind of made Alaska famous is still going on. There's still people up in the mountains like digging and, and looking for all that up there. Um, but the beauty of the place, you cannot understand. The waters look like the waters of the Caribbean. Like they're that emerald blue and green and like it's just, it's unbelievable. The mountains are so big, um, snow-covered caps and, and all these things. We got to see whales on the trip, so that's always one of the big things you check off. Got to see whales, got to see orca, we saw dolphins. Eagles are everywhere in Alaska, if you didn't know this. Um, eagles in Alaska are like pigeons in Alabama, right? Truly. Um, they just look at them like dumb birds. And when you talk to them, they're like, oh, I was the dumbest birds in the world. I'm like, What? That's eagles. Like, you don't see eagles in Alabama, but they just kind of glazed by it, and it blew my mind um, of what you got to see. So I thought I'd bring a picture back just because it's my first time to talk to you since I've been back. Um, I wanted to show you my favorite mountain that we saw. On the t Listen, I just got to show you a picture. It's beautiful. Um, the scope and the size of this mountain, it had snow-covered peaks and waterfalls and glacial ice, unbelievable mountain picture. Um, I, you can't even understand by looking at this picture how glorious um, this mountain is. And no, the creative department didn't mess up. Um, and I'm kind of trying to be a little bit funny um, because this isn't my favorite mountain. It's actually just a little piece of my favorite mountain, right? Um, and it blew my mind because I was in Alaska talking to some of the people up there. I wanted to get their stories like, how long you been here? Like, what got you here? You know, some of these people are like, oh, I'm from Kansas. I'm like, how'd you get to Alaska? You know, like what... What did that? And I was talking to one young girl. She was probably in her early 20s, and she was working at a coffee shop, kind of on one of the street corners up there, this outdoor kind of coffee shop, surrounded um, by all this beauty. And I asked her, I said, like, what is it like 
working in the middle of this every single day, like the beauty and just, and uh, she said, honestly, she said, I, I don't really know. She said, I've spent my whole life here, and I guess when you, when you live so close to something, you don't really see it for what it is. And I was like, what? Like, how, how can you live here and not appreciate What's around you? Like, it always blows my mind when I talk to people who live at the beach, and they're like, yeah, I hadn't been to the beach in, you know, a year or two. Like, you're like five minutes away. How do you not, like, enjoy this? Like, you live where people vacation, right? And they just glaze by it because they live so close to it that they can just get a little peace, but they don't see it for what it is. And I began asking myself the question, like, what, what in our lives do we do this to? Like, what... What in our lives do we just get so focused in on little pieces of it that we miss the magnitude, right? That we miss the overall beauty of everything in front of us, right? Think about our marriages, right? Our kids, the friendships that we have, our families. Like we get so caught up on these little things and we start focusing in on, on very small pieces that, that you can't back away and appreciate the beauty that's actually in front of you. You get too close to it, and it just becomes normal, and it just becomes a rock, right? I started thinking about us in the church, like Christianity. How many of you would say that you've spent the majority of your life like in church? You grew up in church. You've been in church a long time. Raise your hand. Okay, most of us, right? We're in the Bible Belt. We're in Alabama. Most of us have, have a church background of some sort, right? And the things that Christians fight over are unbelievable, right? Like entire denominations and factions are created because we just love to argue and fight over things. Things like whether or not we should have instruments on a stage in your worship services, right? Entire denominations split because we're going to fight over that. Baptism, should we do it by immersion, right? Or should we just sprinkle? Like let's just argue over that because we all have different beliefs, Communion, like the Lord's Supper, should, should we do that daily? Should we do it weekly or monthly or quarterly or annually, right? All these things that we fight over. When's the Sabbath day? Is it on Saturday or is it Sunday? And it splits us off and we argue. And you haven't even got me started on the Bible itself, right? Because we all love to just dive into the Bible, right? This massive living book. And we take these little bitty pieces and we hone in on these little bitty pieces of scriptures. Anybody in here know somebody that's got a verse and they just like camp out on that one verse, like this one thought in the entire grand scheme of the Bible, and they focus in on it, right? Oh, I mean, you know, you, you can't have tattoos because there's that one verse out of thousands, you know? One of my favorite ones are like women in ministry. This might be a touchy subject, and maybe you'll want to argue with me over it, right? Well, I mean, women can't preach in the church because, you know, there's that one verse in the Bible there, where Paul said women can't teach men, so... Clearly, I'm going to take that one scripture and I'm going to develop my entire theology around that one verse as I'm looking at the scope of scripture and I'm going to dive into just that one little piece. And that's what we do to the gospel. We take it and we like to pick this thing and I'm going to focus on this or I'm going to focus on that sin or I'm going to focus on, on this thought. And what we end up doing with the gospel itself is all you end up seeing is this little bitty small piece of it. And if you could just back away, if you could just stop looking at it from three feet away and back up and take that 30,000 foot view, what you would see 
is that the gospel is bigger than anything that you can imagine. You can't wrap your mind around it. The beauty and the glory of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, you you can't take a snapshot and that be what it is. So today I want to dive into the gospel a little bit. We're closing out this series, Bad Boys, right? So I want to look at the gospel. I think when you break down the gospel, I think there's four main events that make up what we know as the gospel. It starts off, the first thing, number one, is creation, right? This is where it all started. You all mostly said you had a church background, maybe somebody online, you know, maybe not, but creation, that's when, when God created everything into existence. And Christians, we like to fight about this too, right? Well, did God do it in six days or did he do it in six million years? Because we're going to disagree and we're going to fight about that. And I think you're wrong and you think I'm wrong and... What about dinosaurs? Where do they fit into all that? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? You know, I don't know. I don't know how long it took him to do it. I don't know why he did it and when he did it. Here's what I do know. He did it, right? And anybody that tells you they know the how, they're lying to you. They can tell you what they believe, but guess what? They weren't there. You weren't there. I wasn't there. We don't know. So why would you... Spend all of your time and energy diving into this one thing. No, it's a literal six days. There's no way science is right saying the world's six million years old, and we want to fight over that. Why? Does it matter? Guess what? He did it. We get so caught up on creation. Think about it. The colors that we see, right? Just look around this one room. Forget the glory of sunsets and the ocean and the skies and the trees and the grass. Think about the colors that you and I see. If you could dive into the science of what has to happen for your eye, the lens in your eye to process information, to go into your brain, for your eye and brain to differentiate between all the different colors that you and I see, it would blow your mind. Except we just blow by it like, oh, yeah, whatever, it's color. God could have just as easily made everything be black and white. It's amazing. Think about like your taste buds, right? Everything could have tasted like oatmeal. Yeah, bland, flavorless, like, but no, God in creation made it to where you can taste salty and you can taste sweet. And putting those things together is amazing. You could taste sour and you, all these things. Like I want you to get to the point that as you're driving down Cox Creek Parkway, and you see the beautiful colors of that orange glowing sign, and you taste the delectable treats of that hot Krispy Kreme donut, right? I want you to just think, like, God, you are amazing that I can see what I can see and taste what I can taste. And just look at us as people. Like, look at how different we are. Forget about just, like, the physiological differences, but... The differences that we have in interest and passions and skills and abilities, all the way down to like our DNA makeup. Like there has never been a person on the planet that is like you. And in the entire future of the world, there will never be another person like you. You are unique and special. You're beautiful. You're a masterpiece. You're not here by mistake. You were planned. I don't know if your mom and dad planned you, but God plans you, right? Yeah, maybe you were a surprise, but you're not a mistake. Creation, it's amazing if you can just back away and see it for what it is. 
The second thing you have to talk about when you lay out the gospel is the fall. Right? The fall. You know about this, right? This is when Adam and Eve starred in the very first episode of Naked and Afraid. Right? Everything was great. They were naked and happy and it was beautiful. And they got to talk to animals and like it was wonderful. And then sin entered the world and they screwed it up for everybody for the rest of mankind. Right? Now you're fallen. I'm fallen. We're all messed up. We all fall short. No parent in this room has ever had to teach your kids how to sin. You never had to teach them the word no or the word mine, right? You didn't have to teach them to be selfish. It's just in us because we're all broken. We're all messed up. None of us are perfect. And that's why number three is so beautiful because number three is redemption. And that's when God sent Jesus himself into this earth, right? God in a flesh suit came and lived a perfect life and he died a death that he didn't have to die to pay a price that you couldn't pay so that you could be once again in right standing with God. It's redemption. And we love a good redemption story. Every story that you and I love so much, every movie we watch is a redemption story. That's why we like it so much, right? We don't like stories that don't have a redemption story at the end. If everything, if the hero doesn't win, we don't like that. We love the underdog stories, right? Next week, we kick off God at the box office, and every single movie we look at throughout that series, in some form or fashion, it's going to be a redemption story. Because you see, there's a, there's a desire on the inside of us as humanity for redemption. Think about like the Shawshank Redemptions, one of my favorite movies of all time. They even put redemption in the name, right? Andy Dufresne at the end, there's redemption, like it's... You're just like, man, that's the way I wanted it to end. Movies like Gladiator, Redemption, The Water Boy, man. Bobby Boucher comes in the back and like it's him and his mama. And we love to see the heroes redeemed, right? We don't like stories where there's not redemption. And I think a lot of people who don't like their life, they don't like who they see when they look in the mirror, maybe the reason they don't like what they see is because they've never experienced that redemption in their lives. They don't like that. And when most people talk about the gospel, they talk about these first three, creation, the fall, and redemption, right? And that's amazing, but I'm here to tell you today that the redemption part, salvation, is not the pinnacle of Christianity. That's not the mountaintop. It's amazing, and you have to talk about salvation, right? We have to talk about Jesus coming and paying the price. But that's not the pinnacle of Christianity. The pinnacle is number four, and that's this word, this idea called restoration. Restoration, and you see it in the end, and this is the purpose behind Jesus coming for redemption is that one day everything is going to be made right again and we are going to be restored into right standing with God that everything that is broken will once again be put back into its place. Book of Revelation talks about this idea of like the marriage supper of the Lamb where we get to eat and fellowship in perfect relationship with God in heaven and there's, there's no sickness and there's no disease, there's no depression or anxiety or fear. There's no cancer or ALS or dementia or diabetes. There's no, none of those things that make this world so broken. Everything in creation is restored to its perfect state. 
That is the gospel when you take it from a 30,000-foot perspective. And if at any point in that, like you're not moved and you're, you're not feeling the weight and the glory of that, then one of two things in your life has happened. Either you've never been redeemed, you've never been saved so that you understand what that's like. Or maybe in your Christian walk, right, in your history as a Christ follower, you found yourself in a place today where what you're doing is you're so focused on a rock. You're so focused on one little piece of something that it's overwhelming and consuming you that you can't see the glory that is really in front of you. You can't see the mountain range because you're so focused in on one little piece. And so today I want to back us out. I want to talk about the gospel as it truly is today. As we dive in week four, this series called Bad Boys, we're going to dive into my favorite minor prophet of all, this guy by the name of Hosea. Now the book of Hosea, as you read through the story, it takes place in about 750 B.C., 750 years before Jesus came. Hosea is on the scene. The nation of Israel at the time is splintered into two nations, okay, two different kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom is known as Judah. Judah has done a pretty good job of staying pretty close to God, right? They're, they're continuing to honor him. We would say that they were still a Christian nation, a Christian kingdom, right, based on his values and trying to live and govern themselves according to God's principles. The northern kingdom, however, is completely opposite. The northern kingdom at the time was known by a few different characteristics. They were known by their military power. They were known by their economic um, development. They were very, very blessed economically at the time. Uh, materialism, greed were running rampant. Um, they were very, very religious. It's a very religious people, but they'd found themselves in a place where even though they knew everything about God, they didn't want to have anything to do with God. So they'd already begun pushing him out of every single aspect of their lives. Sound familiar? The northern kingdom of Israel. They'd found themselves in this place where they were known for worshiping this God called Baal. And I don't have time to go into all the intricacies of what that looked like, but Baal worship is primarily known for in the way you would have to worship the god Baal as they would come together in their worship services and they would build large bonfires and dance around the fires and the way they would honor their god is they would take babies, infants, newborns and they would have to throw them into the fire as they danced around the bonfire worshiping this god. That's what the, the northern kingdom of Israel was doing at the time of Hosea. And so God tells this guy, Hosea, I want you to go to the northern kingdom and I want you to take my message to the people. And Hosea's fired up, right? Hosea, just for um, reference, his name means salvation. The name Hosea means salvation. So don't miss the symbolism. God sent salvation to a nation that had no interest in being saved. He sent a man to preach the good news right, to tell them about him to a nation that had no interest in hearing any good news. They didn't want the message that Hosea, salvation, was bringing. And that blows me away because I'm here to tell you that's my story. And that's your story. See, you never went looking for God. God's the one that came looking for you. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, 
while we were still going our own way, doing what we wanted to do, how and when we wanted to do it, that God sent Jesus to come get us. It's a beautiful picture. Hosea sent to the northern kingdom. And God calls him. And Hosea is fired up, right? He's wanted to be a preacher. He's gotten the call. And he's excited, right? And then God takes it up another step. And he's like, Hosea, not only do I want you to go to the northern kingdom, and I want you to preach, and you're going to be a pastor finally, but I want you to go preach to these people. But before you do that, I want you to get married. And that fires Hosea up even more, right? Because he's had his eyes on this pretty little girl in his Bible study, Right? And he's like, man, God, I've been wanting to ask her to marry me for so long. And he already had the engagement planned out. And they were going to get married in a barn because that's what you did back in the northern kingdom too. You know, shiplap everywhere. And it was going to be amazing. He had it all planned out. He had this girl that he wanted to, to marry. She was so clean and pure and holy. And then God flipped the script on Hosea. Right? And he threw him a curveball. And that's where we pick up the story of Hosea, this man named Salvation. We're told in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, that when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, I want you to go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Now this is where me as a preacher, I'm out. I'm not doing that, right? Like I, I clearly, God, I misheard you when I felt like I heard you tell me to go marry a prostitute. Like that's clearly my sinful ways, right? Like I remember the story of Jonah. You know, Pastor Steve talked about Jonah in week one, you know? And I get that Jonah didn't want to go on a mission trip. I get it. But you're telling me I've got to go marry a prostitute? No, I'm out. not doing it. Like how do I explain that to my family? Like I get to bring... This woman home, like, how do I tell, like, my friends and my family about my new wife? It's hard to explain, right? Hey, Adam, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, is this your new wife? I'd love to, love to meet you. So glad you're here. Hey, what do you do for a living? Well, she's self-employed. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Do you work with, like, you know, musicians and, ah, uh, you know. She's definitely in the entertainment industry. Like how, how, do you exp how do you bring her home to mama, you know? Which every time I read this verse, it hits me. You know what? Sometimes God's going to ask you to do some things that don't make any sense. And in your rationalization and you trying to figure things out, he's going to ask you to do some things that aren't easy. But if doing things that were easy and doing things that everybody around you is going to understand were the gospel, then nothing would ever get done as you read through scriptures. You see, your goal in life is to not do things that everybody around you will understand or approve of. Your goal in life is not to do things that are safe, that make sense. Your goal, your job as a Christ follower is to listen to God and do what he says. And so God tells Hosea, before you go preach, I want you to marry a prostitute. And Hosea's like, okay. I mean, it can't get worse than that, right? Like, let's do this. God told him in verse 2, he says, This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Hosea's like, all right. All right, God, I'm going to go. 
I'm going to find a prostitute, and I'm going to marry her. And then verse 3 happens, and this is where it gets even worse, from a man, Hosea, because it tells us that so Hosea married Gomer. Now, nobody in this room thinks that's a beautiful name. Truly. If you didn't think it could get any worse marrying a prostitute, this dude now has to wake up every day to the love of his life, Gomer. Like, who names their daughter? This beautiful little girl. Oh, like I could think of all these amazing names, and she just looks like a Gomer. Like, that's terrible, right? Any of you ever thought about, like, picking who you're going to marry based on what your name's going to be after you? I know the ladies do that. Like, I'm not taking that name, right? Hosea, okay, I've got to marry Gomer. And I've always wondered, like, who would do, like, who's to blame for, like, naming their daughter Gomer? And then as you keep reading, we're told that she's the daughter of the blame. So he's to blame. (laughs) I don't know that that's actually how you pronounce that word. But I thought his name might mean something cool because I'm like, who's named to blame? And so I looked it up. Um, Hosea means salvation. To blame means fig cakes. So I don't know how to make that fit. So, but fun. Listen, when you look up the name Gomer, the name Gomer means completion. So again, don't miss the symbolism. God takes salvation and completion and makes them one. That they're one and the same. That salvation is complete. You keep reading on, we're told that she finally became pregnant and she gave Hosea a son. And the Lord told them, He said, name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders that he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. When you look up the word Jezreel, right, their firstborn son, the name Jezreel means that the Lord will scatter or the Lord will judge. They named their firstborn Judgment. And that's cool if you're a linebacker, right? Like, you know, every one of you in here, if your favorite team picked up the five-star recruit linebacker, Judgment Jones, like you would be on fire about some judgment, right? Now, if you're five foot two, 150 pounds, you better pray to God that your name is not Judgment because you would have to explain to everyone that your mom's name is Gomer, Right? So salvation and completion have judgment because God wants us to understand that even though salvation and completion are one, that judgment is coming. That when it comes to sin, there is a price that has to be paid because God is going to pour out his wrath. He's going to pour out his judgment. And so we have to make the decision, are we going to be the ones to pay that price? Or are we going to receive the price that Jesus has already paid? Got salvation, completion, judgment, and the family continues to grow. As you read verse 6, we're told that soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. 
And the Lord said to Hosea, I want you to name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. Now pay attention. It doesn't say that he didn't love them anymore. It says that he's no longer going to show love to them because you see they were living lives that he couldn't honor, that he couldn't bless. So he says, I'm no longer going to show love to the nation of Israel. He goes on and he tells them, but I will show love to the people of Judah, right? That southern kingdom that was honoring God, that was still doing their best to live lives that, that pursued him. He says, I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. We're told that the family continues to grow, that after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord told Homer, Homer, that's funny. I keep saying that because you can't say Hosea and Gomer. It's like Brangelina. You know how those two things go together? This is Homer. And the Lord said, name the second son Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Right? Some great names in Hosea's family here. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Salvation and completion have judgment, not loved, and not my people. Now the interesting thing is you dive into the second and third child in Hosea's family, is that as you look through the the life and the story of Hosea and Gomer, what you find out is that not loved and not my people weren't actually Hosea's children. What had happened was Gomer had a past, right? What did Gomer do before she met salvation? She was a prostitute. And as we continue reading the story, what we see is that Gomer begins stepping out on Hosea and that not loved and not my people were both conceived in prostitution just like God had promised. They weren't Hosea's kids. But yet you've got this pastor, you've got this preacher, right? Doing all he can do to love this prostitute wife who continues to step out on him, right? Who continues to go her own way. And the story finally gets to this place where we're told that that Gomer finally gets to the point that she actually completely turns her back on Hosea and leaves. She leaves her husband. She leaves her children. She begins pursuing a life. She falls in love with another guy. At least she falls in lust with him, right? She moves to another area of the country. She begins partying again and sleeping around. And for a little while, it was probably great, right? Things were probably going really, really well for her. The money was flowing. The booze was there. It was a good time. But there came a point where Gomer realized that all of a sudden she lost so many of the things that mattered to her. Because sin, what it does is it always disconnects healthy connections. When you begin to give yourself back over to sin, what it does is it disconnects you from the healthy connections that God's put in your life. Right? Those good friends who challenge you, who hold you accountable. All of a sudden, sin in your life starts pulling you away from them so that you don't respond to the text. You don't call them back. You're not hanging out as much because you, you know that they're going to ask you about it, right? 
All of a sudden, you used to be on that serve team. You used to be in connect groups or you used to be faithful to church and you used to love coming and worshiping. And because of the sin in your life, because these decisions and behaviors that you're going back to, all of a sudden, there's this disconnection that you're feeling that starts pulling you away. See, sin's fun for a little while. Don't ever listen to anybody that tells you sin's not fun. Sin's fun if you're doing it right. But here's the problem. Sin always costs something. There's always a price tag. And I promise you, it is always more than you think it'll be. And that was the truth for Gomer. She completely walked out on her family. She finds herself, this man that she'd left her family for leaves her. She's left all alone. She doesn't have any way of taking care of herself, supporting herself. And so what she ends up doing is going back to the only thing she knows how to do. She goes back to selling her body. She goes back to the auction block. What we're told is that somehow, we don't know how, somehow word got back to Hosea that his wife had been found. That she was on the auction block, that she was back in prostitution. And for us, a lot of us would say, you know what, she's getting what she deserves. You walked out on your family. You're the one that decided to go back to doing all those things But if we're really honest and you you get out of that microscope that you like to put other people in and you'll take a step back and you'll really look at yourself and you'll look at your situation, what you find out is that in this story, you're not the husband. You're the hooker. Because just like Gomer in your life, there's a time where most of us, we've met salvation, right? We've been in that relationship, but we all also have a past. And there's some things that we said, we'll never do that again. God, this is the last time I'm going to live for you. I'm going after you. And that might last days or weeks or months. But what you see, what happens to us over and over again, is we said we were never going to drink again because we know what happens when we drink. We can't handle it. God, that was the last time. A few weeks goes by, maybe a few months, and you're back in that situation. You're back hanging with those friends again, and what are you doing? The same thing you told God, God, I'm never going to do it again. Whatever addiction, whatever struggle that is for you, it's the same thing that Gomer dealt with. She had a past, and your past always catches up to you. For you, maybe it is the partying scene, but you know there were some friends that that you kind of had to walk away from because they weren't drawing you closer to God. They were that group of friends that disconnects you from God, that pulls you away. You said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive back into church. I'm going to make healthy connections. But sin comes in and says, no, let's go right back to where you were. That's all of our story. And maybe like Gomer, you're, you're here and you feel worthless. You feel ashamed. Because you know there was a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now. And you know that you're the one that walked away, not God. And here's the beautiful part as we talk about the gospel today. It's that Jesus never turns his back and he never runs away. As we pick up the story in Hosea chapter three, verse one, we're told that the Lord said to Hosea, I want you to go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, 
This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. You see, what God did was he told Hosea, listen, Hosea, salvation never turns its back. Salvation never runs away. It always pursues. It always chases down. And so even though she's the one that did it, she doesn't deserve your love. She probably deserves everything that she's living in right now. What I want you to do, Hosea, salvation, is I want you to go get her. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what Hosea did. And I'm here to tell you that if you're here, and at any point in your life you've been closer to God than you are right now, that I'm here to tell you the Spirit of God is in this place, and He has chased you down, and He has found you where you are, and He's saying, come home. It's time to come back. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I want to restore I want to redeem our relationship. Hosea chapter 3, verse 2. The last verse we're going to look at today, we're told that Hosea bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Now that might not mean much to you if you don't know the backstory, but as you actually jump back a few books and you go back to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is very, very clear that in this day and age, the price for a slave, which is what the sex trade would have been back then, the price for a slave was 30 pieces of silver. In Hosea, the Bible tells us, he paid 15 pieces of silver and threw in bushels of barley and some wine. You see, what, what that tells us as you dive into the, the scholarly part of it is that Hosea didn't have 30 pieces of silver. He didn't have what it was going to take to buy her back straight. And so most scholars will tell us that what he did was he gave everything he had. He took all that he had and he said, listen, I'm buying her back. She's still married, right? She's still in spiritual terms saved but she'd found herself once again in slavery. And salvation chased her down, gave everything for her and said, I want you to come back to freedom. I want you to come back to relationship. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you today that that's exactly what God is doing for you. You see, on the cross, Jesus didn't shortchange us. He didn't shortchange the cross and he didn't shortchange the tomb. He gave everything for you and he gave everything for me. So here in a second, we're going to pray. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. I don't want anybody to leave, okay? If you're a serve team member and you're worried about getting to your spot, you're going to have a chance to do that. Staff members that need to go, I want you to stay in here right now. You're going to get a chance to leave. But here's the deal. There are two groups of people in this room right now. Some of you, maybe you're, you're closer to God right now than you've ever been before. Like you're, you're walking in strength and grace and you're, you're connected. And if that's you, then when we sing this song, I want you to sing it to the top of your lungs. 
getting a full perspective of the goodness of God, a God that gave everything for you so that you could walk in that perfect relationship. But I've got a feeling that there's some people in the room that you know you've been closer to God at some point in your life than you are right now. And that like Gomer, you found yourself going back to a life, to some habits, to some decisions, to some relationships that you said you'd never do again. And today I want you to sing, maybe for the first time in a long time, in freedom of a God who gives everything with a reckless love for you.